0: Chapter Twenty Five of The Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five. Mabel's answer. The wet autumn had merged into a premature season of fog and slush, while a violent gale had stripped off the leaves long before their time. Winter was at hand, and already one or two of the hardiest Christmas annuals, fresh from editorial forcing houses had blossomed on the bookstalls, and a few masks and Roman candles, misled by appearances, had stolen into humble shop-fronts long before November had begun. All the workers, except the junior clerks in offices, who were now receiving permission to enjoy their annual fortnight, were returning, and even idlers, who had no country-house hospitality to give or receive, were glad to escape some of their burden amongst the mild distractions of a winter in town. Mrs. Langton, who detested the country, had persuaded her husband to let their place Glenthorne for the last two winters, and she and her daughter had already returned to Kensington Park Gardens after a round of visits, leaving Mr. Langton to enjoy a little more shooting before the courts reopened. Cathy was now away at the Featherstone's country seat, somewhere in the Midlands, and Mark, who remained in town after their return from Germany, had taken the earliest opportunity of calling on the Langtons, when Mabel seemed more frankly glad to see him than he had dared to hope, and in one short half-hour the understanding between them had advanced several months. She showed the greatest interest in his wanderings, and he described the various petty adventures in his most effective manner, until even Mrs. Langton was roused to a little indulgent laughter. When Dolly came in later, Mark was embraced enthusiastically. "'I was so afraid you wouldn't be back in time for my party,' she said. "'You will come now, won't you? It's tomorrow week—my birthday, you know.' And, of course, Mark was delighted to promise to come, as Mabel seconded the invitation. "'We're quite at a loss to know how to amuse the children,' she said a little later. "'Perhaps you can help us to an idea.' "'We could have the performing pygmies,' said Mrs. Langton. "'But the boys might tread on them, and that would be so expensive, you know.' "'Don't have any performing things, mother,' pleaded Dolly. "'Have only dancing.' "'Most of the boys hate dancing,' said Mabel. "'Some of them don't a bit,' urged Dolly. "'And those who do can stay away. I don't want them. "'But don't have entertainments. They always leave a horrid mess that take hours to clear away after them.' "'It's all very well for you, Dolly,' said Mabel, laughing. "'But I shall have to keep the boys in order.' "'And last time they played at robbers, tramping about all over the house. "'And when everyone had gone, there was one of them left behind upstairs, Mr. Ashbourne, howling to be let out of the cupboard.' "'Bobby Fraser, that was,' said Dolly. "'Stupid little duffer! "'We won't have him this time. "'And, Mother, darling, I want to dance all the time.' "'And it's my own party. Dancing is enough, it is, really,' she pleaded in a pretty frenzy of impatience, and Dolly got her own way, as usual. Mabel was a little surprised at her own pleasure in seeing Mark again. She had looked forward to meeting him, but without being prepared for this wild joy that sprang up in her heart as he pressed her hand, and with that unmistakable delight in his eyes at being in her presence do i care for him as much as that she asked herself and the question answered itself as such questions do mark was his own master now for he had given up his appointment at st peter's although mr Shelford strongly advised him to go in for some regular profession besides literature there'll come a day he told him when you've played out all your tunes and your barrel is worn smooth and no one will throw you any more coppers "'Then you'll want a regular employment to fall back on. "'Why don't you get called?' "'Because I don't want to be tied down,' said Mark. "'I want to go about and study character. "'I want to enjoy my life while I can.' "'So did the grasshopper,' said Mr. Shelford. "'You don't believe in me, I know,' said Mark. "'You think I shall never do anything like illusion again. "'Well, I believe in myself. "'I think my tunes will last out my life at all events.' "'I really work uncommonly hard. "'I have two novels ready for the press at this moment, "'which is pretty well for a mere grasshopper.' "'But wearing for a mere barrel-organ,' said the old gentleman, "'be careful. Don't write too much. "'The public never forgive a disappointment. "'Whatever you do, give them of your best.' "'And shortly after this conversation, "'Mark left his novel, Sweet Bells Jangled, "'with Chilton and Fladgate.' mentioning terms which even to himself seemed slightly exorbitant he had a note from the firm in the course of a day or two appointing an interview and on going up to the publishing office found both of the partners waiting to receive him mr Chilton was a spare angular man who confined himself chiefly to the purely financial department we have decided to accept your terms subject to a few modifications which we can discuss presently he said "'You think the book is likely to be a success?' asked Mark, unable to control his anxiety. "'Any work by the author of Illusion is sure to command attention,' said Mr. Chilton. "'But you like the subject?' pursued Mark. Mr. Chilton coughed. "'I can express no opinion,' he said. "'I don't profess to be a judge of these matters. "'Fladgate has read the book. "'He will tell you what he thinks about it.' But Mr. Fladgate remained silent and Mark, much as he longed to oppress him, was too proud to do so. However, as the firm demanded a rather considerable reduction of the original terms, Mr. Fladgate, in explanation, admitted at length that he did not consider sweet bells jangled, altogether up to the standard of Mark's first work, and intimated that it would not be advisable to risk bringing it out before the spring season. "'I see,' said Mark, nettled, You are not particularly hopeful about it. Oh, said Mr. Fladgate, with a wave of his hand, I wouldn't say that. Chance has a good deal to do with these affairs, a good deal to do. I confess I miss some of the qualities that charmed me in your illusion. It reads to me, if I may say so, like an earlier effort, a much earlier effort, but it may hit the popular taste for all that. It is certainly in quite a different vein mark came away rather depressed but he soon persuaded himself that a publisher was a not infallible judge of literary merit and then the firm had every object in depreciating the work whilst negotiations were proceeding for all that he felt uncomfortable now and then and he had not wholly got rid of his depression by the time of dolly's birthday party on his arrival he found that dolly's wish had been gratified dancing was the main attraction and in the principal room were the usual iron-fisted pianist and red-faced cornet player who should be such profound moralists with all their nightly experiences and dainty little girls were whirling round with the fortunate boys who had elder sisters at home to bully them into acquiring the mysteries of the valse while the less favoured stood in doorways gibing with the scornfulness of envy the least observing might trace the course of several naive preferences and innocent flirtations during the earlier part of the evening big bright-faced boys in devoted attendance on shy and unconscious small maidens many years their juniors and en revanche determined little ladies triumphantly towing about smaller boys who seemed sometimes elated but mostly resigned while one youthful misogynist openly rebelled and fled to mabel for protection declaring ungallantly that he would rather be at home in bed than bothered like that any longer dolly was enjoying herself amazingly dancing chiefly however with her dearest girl friend for the time being since none of the boys danced well enough to please either of them and besides boys rather bored dolly to whom dancing, as yet, was merely a particularly delightful form of exercise, and who had no precocious tendencies to coquetry. She deigned to dance once with Mark, after which he did his duty by trotting out a succession of calm and self-possessed little girls, who were as unchildlike as if they had been out for a season or two. Then he thought he might reward himself by going to look for Mabel, whom he found in one of the lower rooms endeavouring to amuse the smaller and non-dancing members of the company she was standing under the centre lamp flushed and laughing with two or three children clinging to her dress and met his amused and admiring eyes with a little gesture of comic despair we've played all the games that were ever invented she said and now some of them are getting rough and the rest cross and there's half an hour before supper and i don't in the least know what to do with them till then shall i see what i can do with them said mark rather rashly oh if you would it would be so kind of you i'm afraid you don't know what you're exposing yourself to mark not being devoted to children felt more than a little dubious himself but he wanted to be associated with her in something and volunteered manfully look here he began as they all stood about staring at him miss langton's a little tired ah i am going to play with you a little now what shall we have eh blind man's buff but they had had that and presently one small boy bolder than the rest said play at being jumbo a proposal which seemed generally popular then may i leave you here said mabel i must go and speak to mother about something don't let them be too tiresome this was by no means what mark had bargained for but he found himself deserted and reduced to play at being jumbo with the best possible grace it was a simple but severe game consisting in the performer of the principal role who was mark himself on this occasion going down on his hands and knees and staggering about the carpet while everyone else who could find room climbed on his back and thumped him on the head at last in self-defence He was obliged to get rid of them by intimating that he had gone mad, when he had to justify his words by careering around the room trumpeting fiercely, while the children scuttled away before him in an ecstasy of sham terror. At first Mark was profoundly miserable, and even glad, that Mabel had not remained to witness his humiliation. But by and by he began to enter into the spirit of the thing, and had entirely forgotten his dignity by the time Mabel reappeared. Caffin, who had now returned from the Featherstones, and had received an invitation from Mrs. Langton, in Mabel's absence— "'We've known him from a boy, my dear,' the former had said in justification. "'And he can recite some things to keep the children quiet, you know,' stood in the doorway behind her, and looked on with a smile of pity. But she saw nothing ridiculous in Mark just then, and, as he was probably aware, he could stand such tests better than most men.' She only thought that his willingness to sacrifice himself for others was a pleasant trait in his character. "'Don't get up, Ashburn. It's delightful to see you making yourself so hot, my dear fellow,' said Caffyn. "'One doesn't get the chance of seeing a successful author ramping about on all fours every day.' "'I can't get up,' said Mark, and, in fact, a small but unpleasantly sturdy boy had pounced on him as he paused for breath and, with the sense that he was doing something courageous, was in course of taming the elephant with a hearth-brush. "'What a shame!' cried Mabel. "'Tommy, you horrid boy! You're hurting Mr Ashburn!' And the hearth-brush was certainly coming down, with considerable vigour, on the small of the amateur elephant's back. "'I think myself,' gasped Mark, "'that I could bear being shipped off to America now.' "'Yes, indeed,' she said compassionately, you mustn't be tormented any more tommy let the poor elephant alone you've tamed him very nicely jumbo had his hind legs tied urged tommy who had a taste for realism i don't think that will be necessary objected mark i'm beautifully tamed now master tommy observe the mildness of my eye the game's over now said mabel with decision there mr ashburn your elephant life is over tommy come and butter my glove for me like a dear fellow how dreadfully hot you are and now mr caffyn is going to recite something come upstairs all of you and listen for mrs langton had begged him to do something to amuse the children i don't want them to dance too much she had said if you could manage to cool them down before supper i'll cool them down said caffyn to himself with one of his peculiar impulses to safe and secret malevolence If you will get them all together, dear Mrs. Langton, he replied, I'll see what I can do. And accordingly he entertained them with a harrowing little poem about a poor child dying of starvation in a garret, and dreaming of wealthier and happier children enjoying themselves at parties, which made all the children uncomfortable, and some of the less stolid ones cry. And then he told them a ghost story, crammed with ingenious horrors, which followed most of them home to bed mabel listened in burning indignation she would have liked to stop him but grown-up persons were beginning to filter in and she was afraid of making anything like a scene by interfering however when he came up blandly after the performance she let him see her opinion of it oh they like to have their flesh creep he said with a shrug it's one of the luxuries of youth it isn't a wholesome one she said "'but I know you have your own theories of the proper way to to amuse a child.' She felt a revival of her disgust for the sly treachery he had revealed once before. He gave her a cold glance, and the lines round his mouth tightened for an instant. "'You haven't forgiven me, then,' he said. "'I can't forget,' she answered in a low voice. "'We both have good memories, it seems,' he retorted with a short laugh, as he held up a curtain for her to pass, and turned away. It was after supper, and most of the children had been weeded out to be replaced by children of a larger growth. Mark came up to Mabel as she stood by the doorway, while the musicians were playing the first few bars of a waltz, and each couple was waiting for some other to begin before them. "'You promised me a dance,' he said, in reward for my agility as an elephant. "'Aren't your duties over now?' "'I think everybody knows everybody now, and no one is sitting out,' said Mabel but really i would rather not dance just yet i'm a little tired for the frulein was still away with her family in germany and most of the work had fallen upon mabel who was feeling some need of a rest mark did not try to persuade her you must be he agreed will you do you mind sitting this dance out with me she made no objection and they were presently sitting together under the soft light of the ribbed chinese lanterns in a fernery at the back of the rooms when we go back said mabel i want to introduce you to a miss torrington a great admirer of your book but you don't care for such things do you i wish with all my soul i might never hear of the book again said mark gloomily i i beg your pardon it sounds ungrateful and yet if you knew if you only knew he was in one of his despondent moods just then "'when his skeleton came out of the cupboard "'and gibbered at him. "'What right had he, with this fraud on his soul, "'to be admitted even to the ordinary friendship "'of a sweet and noble girl? "'What would she say to him if she knew? "'And for a moment he felt a mad impulse to tell her. "'I wish you would tell me,' she said gently, "'as if answering the impulse. "'But the suggestion, put into words, sobered him. "'She would despise him she must he could not bear to see his shame reflected in her eyes so he told her half-truths only it is only that i am so tired of being tied to a book he said passionately tied i am a book every one i meet sees in me not a man to be judged and liked for himself but something to criticise and flatter and compare with the nature he revealed in print half-truth as this was It was more sincere than such confidences are apt to be your book is you or a part of you said mabel it seems so absurd that you should be jealous of it i am he said not so much with others but when i am with you it tortures me when you show me any kindness i think she would not say that she would not do this if i were not the author of illusion she honours the book "'Not you, only the book.' "'How unjust!' said Mabel. "'She could not think it a perverted form of diseased vanity. "'He plainly undervalued his work himself, "'and its popularity was a real vexation to him. "'She could only be sorry for him.' "'But I see proof of it in others every now and then,' continued Mark. "'People who do not connect me at first with Cyril Earnstone.' only the other day some of them went so far as to apologize for having snubbed me before they knew who i was i don't complain of that of course i'm not such an idiot but it does make me doubtful of the other extreme and i cannot bear the doubt in your case his eyes were raised pleadingly to hers he seemed longing and yet dreading to speak more plainly mabel's heart beat quicker there was a subtle delicious flattery in such self-abasement before her of a man she admired so much would he say more then or would he wait as far as she knew her own mind she hoped he would wait a little longer she said nothing being perhaps afraid of saying too much yet i know it will be so said mark the book will be forgotten with the next literary sensation and i shall drop under with it "'You will see me about less often, till one day you pass me in the street "'and wonder who I am, and if you ever met me at all.' "'I don't think I ever gave you the right to say that,' she said, wounded at his tone. "'And you ought to know that I should not do anything of the sort.' "'Will you tell me this?' he said, and his voice trembled with anxiety. "'If—if I had not written this book, which was happy enough to give you some pleasure— If I had met you simply as Mark Ashburn, a man who had never written a line in his life, would you have been the same to me? Would you have felt even such interest in me as I like to think sometimes you do feel? Try to give me an answer. You don't know how much it will mean to me. Mabel took refuge in the impersonal. Of course, she said, one often likes a person one never saw very much for something he has done. But I think if you ever do meet him, and then don't like him for himself, you dislike him all the more for disappointing you. It's a kind of reaction, I suppose. "'Tell me this, too,' Mark entreated. "'Is—is that my case?' "'If it had been,' she said softly, "'do you think I should have said that?' Something in her tone gave Mark courage to dare everything. "'Then—' "'You do care for me a little?' he cried. "'Mabel, I can speak now. I loved you ever since I first saw you in that old country church. I never meant to tell you so soon, but I can't help it. I want you. I can't live without you. Will you come to me, Mabel?' She put both hands trustfully in his as she said, "'Yes, Mark,' and without any more words just then on either side. Their troth was plighted. He was still holding the hands she had resigned to him, hardly daring as yet to believe in this realization of his dearest hopes, when someone stepped quickly in through the light curtains. It was Caffyn, and he put up his eyeglass to conceal a slight start as he saw who were there. Sent to look for somebody's fan, told it was left on the folding chair. Ah, sorry to trouble you, Ashburn. That's it behind you. I won't say I found you sitting on it and he went out with his prize. "'I think after that,' said Mabel, with a little laugh, though she was annoyed too, "'you had better take me back again.' And Mark obeyed, feeling that the unromantic interruption had effectually broken the spell. Fortunately, it had happened after, and not before his fate had been decided. The evening was over, and he was waiting to recover his hat and overcoat when he was joined by Caffin. "'Umbrella missing?' began the latter. "'Mine is, like the departed Christians on the tombstones, you know. "'Not lost, but gone before. "'Are you going my way? Come on, then.' "'When they were outside in the moonlight, he took Mark's arm and said, "'You've got something to tell me, haven't you?' "'I told you I should come to you for congratulations when we were at Triburg, said Mark. "'But I never hoped to be able to come so soon.' "'She has said yes, old fellow.' I can't trust myself to talk about it just yet, but I can't help telling you that. Caffyn clapped him on the back with a shout of rather wild laughter. What a fortunate beggar you are, he said. Fame, fortune, and now a charming girl to crown it all. You'll be rousing the envy of the gods soon, you know, unless you're careful. Chapter 25